Hello, and welcome to the Self-Sufficient Hub podcast. I'm Carl from selfsufficienthub.com, and I'm here to talk about all things self-sufficiency, all things homesteading, and about how we can reduce the gap between our consumption and our production. Sustainability and food security matters. Okay, so we're going to go straight into part two of my conversation with Alan that we started on Monday. So if you haven't heard Monday's podcast yet, I suggest you go and listen to that one first because this one's going to pick up where that one left off. Whatever you think your first frost date is, wherever you live, there's always a chance it's going to come four weeks later. Yeah. You know, especially the way the climate is at the moment with things, yeah. you know, it, it's so much more variable. And we could literally places that usually get a frost at, you know, early October. There's every possibility you're not going to get a frost until late November, you know, six weeks after you might expect one. So yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm all for just throwing it in and having a go because you never know. And you might get a load more food out of that what otherwise might have been an empty space in your plot and you've got nothing to lose apart from a few seeds really so I, i'm a huge advocate for just throwing it in crossing your fingers and, and seeing what happens and, and critically not being upset if it doesn't work out oh yeah, all right stuff like that I, I think the other thing to say is with the seeds is that, that they've only got a limited shelf life in any case yeah and so yeah they, they could be sown next year they potentially could be sown the year after but there's diminishing returns on that over time and so the seed packet, you know, you know that I buy from Kings on our reduced rate from the Allotment Society. You know, it probably cost me a couple of quid, if that. Yeah. And I'm going to go and put those seeds in the ground this year rather than next and maybe have to buy some more next year because they didn't work out or they did, whichever way around it is. But yeah. all I've lost is some seed that I mightn't have used anyway. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and so and particularly with, you know, as you found with the smaller space growing, I need things to be you know, productive as best as I can. Yeah. Which is why they don't go in the ground until I think they've got a good chance of being successful. So if I sow them, they'll be in pots. Yeah. And as, as soon as if I know they're going to be successful, then I'll I'll use the space on them. If I, if they're not, then I don't need to worry about it. They've been in pots. It's been a failure. I'll just you know compost the whole lot and away we go again. Yeah. Um, and so literally the loss is a few seeds, a little bit of compost. That's it. Um, and I'll probably you know do like thirty six plants, so six of my little half trays that I use. Um, and we'll see what happens. But I, I know Mike did it a few years ago. Uh, up where we work, which is much more likely to get an earlier frost because it's higher above sea level. And it was he got a great little crop off those beans that he sowed at the, right at the end of August as well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, a lot of it is, is is luck with the weather, but definitely worth a try. Uh, and, and in any case, you know, you can be sowing beetroot, carrots, cavolo nero, you know, spinach, chard. You can be getting out your mizuna and your Chinese leaves. Radishes you can still do. Lettuces you can still do. There's so much you can still be sowing now. Um, yeah. So if you're looking at bare space in your garden or potentially going to have bare space in a, in a month or two, then get so in. Absolutely. Because it, it will pay off. Yeah. And I think that's something that's <laughs> overlooked a little bit. I, I, I mentioned that in the four before on Friday, because I think when, when it gets to this time of year, it's so easy and it's natural to just think, right, well, this time of year is for harvesting. And, and that's what we're doing. And while that's correct, and that's 100% right, and we are harvesting and we're enjoying it and preserving and doing all of those things, it's very easy to forget that we can still be sowing and that if we don't, we're going to be looking at empty ground at some point in the future that we might not need to. Well, I mean, absolute best case scenario, mid-November, the frost comes on and kills, along, kills off all my warm weather crops. 
Yeah. It means those six, seven beds, whatever it is I've got that are just warm weather crops in the in the allotment are all going to be empty. Yeah. I'm in November. So to have something ready to go in. And if you ever watch Charles Dowding on YouTube, he's literally he's taking plants out and he's putting seedlings in. And there might be six inches tall, these seedlings that you're putting in. Yeah. And you think, well, that's the way to do it, isn't it? That's the maximum space. And in fact, if you've got space around the edges, some, I mean, I've planted mine really close together so that the ground's shaded out to stop the weeds. But if you had spaced them at the, the spacing that the seed packet suggests, the chances are it's like getting through anyway. So you could put those some of those smaller plants in and put yeah. into crop very, very easily. Um, and you might see, you know, perhaps your winter lettuce goes underneath your sweet corn or whatever it is to get, you know, so it's got a bit of shade while it's really hot and perhaps yeah. that works. Um, so just little tricks like that. It just, it's about experimenting, find out what works for you, find out that, you know, it's, everyone has different things that they like to grow and eat. Um, and everyone's got different conditions. It's just about finding what works in your area. And there's definitely no harm in experimenting. No. No, no, not at all. And what one of the things you've mentioned that you're going to be sowing is your Christmas potatoes. Yeah. Have you got any varieties that you particularly favour? No, I've had very, very limited success with them in the past. I've tried it now. It's been the third time in four years I've tried it. And I've yet to have a crop worth talking about. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm obviously doing something wrong. Um, I did some outdoors one year and it was just, I think it, it was a really dry, again, a really dry summer. Um, I think it was probably 2020 maybe. Um, right. It's just really, really dry and hot and they, they didn't seem to take very well. And then I did some in the greenhouse last year and, and that failed as well. Um, so I'm, I'm going to try and see if I can figure it out this year and make it work. Um, I'm going to go with the outdoors and we'll see how we go. But, yeah, yeah. And, um, and and would you say now is the time to be planting those? Now is the time to be sowing them right, right through to the end of August. Yeah. Um, you can get them. The best thing to do, in my opinion, is to go to your local nursery garden centre and buy potatoes that are marketed for this job. Yeah. Um, and the reason for that is that, that they need to be vernalised. They need to feel, feel the, the sort of sense of winter, these potatoes, before they'll actually start to grow properly. Um, yeah. And so you need to go and buy those. Don't be tempted to take your spuds that you've got from this year and just stick them back in the ground again. They'll, they'll harvest beautifully, but not till next year. Um, whereas we want these ones to feel like they've just had a winter, so now is the spring and they're going to grow. Um, and so I've got, I think, Charlotte, maybe, yeah, downstairs. Um, but they were selling Pentland Javelin, a couple of others. They're all salad potatoes. Yeah, first earlies. First earlies, yeah. Yeah. Um, these were the ones that were um, offered in the, in the local garden centre. Um, and I've just gone for a variety that I know that I like, which I think was Charlotte, I have to say. Um, yeah. Hopeful that we can get them in, and in about three or four months' time, we'll get a little, little harvest ready for Christmas time. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm like you insofar as I've never actually managed that yet. And uh, but for, from my point of view, it's more because I've just not got round to trying it. I think I, I've tried it one year and it didn't work out because we got blight. In fact, that's yep. why it's not because I, I, it's not because I didn't get round to it. It's because every year so far that i've been in a position to do it we've had really quite bad blight and yeah. i just didn't fancy putting in a load of potatoes while all of my other plants were dying from blight yeah. it didn't seem to make a lot of sense to me so that's why we've not done it but this year as you say we've not had that worry no nope. so uh, it's a great year to try it if you haven't already well actually now you mentioned it that's exactly what happened to me last year even in the greenhouse they were blighted the potatoes i put in got blight yeah. That's what happened. I remember now, you know, you say it. So, yeah, um, yeah, you, nothing you could do about that is, you know, it's blight no. season. <laughs> it's potentially yeah. going to happen. It could still yeah. happen. I could put them in and I could still get blight. And it's one of the reasons I don't grow potatoes at the allotment. 
Um, they don't particularly like my chalky soil. Um, they need something that with a bit more nutrition in it anyway. Um, and obviously that retains a bit more moisture than the soil, the, the chalk tends to. Um, yeah. But also at the allotment, you know, we've spoken a bit before, disease just rips through the allotments. Once once somebody gets it, you know it's going to happen. Yeah. Um, and so I tended to move over to blight resistant. The Mountain Magic Tomatoes are blight resistant. And they, last year they grew through it beautifully. Yeah. Um, is there is there an option for potatoes? Yes. Um, the Sarpo, there's a group of uh, different um, potatoes called Sarpo. The Sarpo Miro is the one that I remember. But there are other Sarpo varieties of potatoes that are blight resistant as well. And can you tick both boxes of being blight resistant and first earlies? I'm not sure about that. I'm, I'm, it's one of the areas I've got a bit of a blind spot in my growing. I don't grow very many potatoes. Sure. Uh, <laughs> team, team tasty. Team tasty. That's right. But I know, I know, <laughs> I know that my one of the, the old fellow I often talk about. His name's Richard. I should mention him by name. Richard. He's, he used to be my neighbour on the on the plot, and then they left for a couple of years, and then he's, he's reappears. Um, gardening on a plot that's on, on my walk down to mine so we quite often stop and have a chat again now and he's been growing for years and years and um, he was swearing by the Sarpo 10 years ago mm -hmm. um, and he said there's all different varieties so it's just finding the one that you like so I, I don't know if there's first earlies but it's definitely worth looking into and uh, I'm just just going to quickly cover my tracks here because one of the things that I that really bugs me when I listen to a podcast and people mention terms that seem familiar, but that I, that yep. I don't understand them. And yep. uh, it really bugs me when they don't explain them. So I will just quickly go ahead and, and just explain first earlies. Generally with potatoes, you've got three, three types and everything I speak about, I'm still learning and it's sort of a broad interpretation, but you've got first earlies, second earlies and main crop potatoes and as far as I can tell, honestly, what that really refers to is just the length of time they need in the ground before they're ready. So first earlies take a lot less time or a little bit less time than second earlies that take a little bit less time than your main crop potatoes. So the reason we're talking about first earlies is we're, be we're basically, or at least what I am when I use that term, I'm basically saying fast growing potatoes so that yeah. they're going to be ready for Christmas. Yeah, that's pretty much 110 days, <laughs> I think, first early, something like that. Yeah. Um, from from planting to cropping in theory at least yeah um, so that that's all yeah. we mean so different varieties will have a different length of time they need in the ground and, and then they get given a label based on that so when i say first earlies that's because we want to put them in now and have them ready for christmas i wonder why we don't and and this is a, a musing alan i'd love oh. to i'd love to hear your thoughts on it why don't when we say winter uh, christmas potatoes why oh. don't we also grow main crop potatoes as christmas potatoes and just put them in a little bit earlier why is it always this idea that we're sowing now and we're sowing first earlies i think probably because if you'd sown a good main crop you don't need to grow anymore because you they store really well right that seems to be the sensible answer to me. I think your main crop potatoes are for storing, aren't they? Yeah. So that, that, you know, they're the ones that you're going to use through the winter. Uh, and if you've done a good job of it, you don't need to. Uh, where And the energy that goes into producing you know, the first, the the, uh, the Christmas potatoes is quite a lot um, because obviously they need to be brought in and they need to be chilled and they need to then be put um, whatever the process they go through to get them ready to be planted. I suspect it's just something as simple as that. I don't think it's anything anything more sure there's obviously nothing to stop you growing your first earlies until they get massive no other than the conditions that they might be growing in um but no I, 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 that's the only thing i think of if i'm honest okay okay um yeah. it, it, it just uh, just occurred to me there yeah a that's a question yeah. i couldn't answer i mean if, if, if i were growing main crop potatoes and i were taking them out in september 
um, I'd, I'd reasonably expect to be able to store those for six months. Yeah. And I then think... by the time May comes around, my first thirties for next year might nearly be ready. Yeah. Well, that's the bit that that's the bit that didn't I couldn't quite work out because if I take my main crop potatoes out in, like you say, September, and maybe you do, maybe you do manage to to grow enough to get you through six months. That's September, mm. October, November, December, January, February, March. There's no way in the world you're going to have your your first earlies ready to come out the ground next year in March, is there? No, so no. for me, it was more about getting a second harvest, a second crop that you're cropping, that you're taking out the ground later around Christmas time to yeah. fill that hunger gap. Yeah. So, so I just wondered why we wouldn't use regular, you know, regular main crop potatoes and put them in in, say, May or June and use those. June probably would sound about right. Perhaps that's a question for someone with a massive permaculture plot to try and experiment with. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. So uh, what Alan is alluding to there, I, I'm, I'm going to be releasing an oddments episode on Friday where I'll get you guys all caught up. But basically, um, for those of you who only listen to the podcast and don't watch the YouTube channel, I left you kind of hanging as to where I was going in my future, whether I was going to take on this field that I mentioned or whether I was going to take on this smaller but more amazing permaculture plot. And uh, I am taking on the, the permaculture plot with the polytunnel and the aquaponic system and all of that. So, uh, yeah, there's an acre down there I can experiment on. You're quite right, Alan. Yeah, so you just need to get some of your main crops and stick them in the fridge for six weeks and then, then plant them out, see what happens. Yeah, yeah, which I, I may well do. Although I don't, have, I don't have any main crop potatoes this year. We've only we've just got some first earlies in a bucket. That's all we've got, which are just about ready to come out. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm going to be doing all sorts of experimenting down there. I'm very excited. I, I, I think you should. I, I, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what the outcome of that is. I, you know, I, like I said before, my my limited space, it doesn't work brilliantly for me to to take you know little experiments like that on. But no, I could see. In, in principle, it should work. Yeah. No reason why it wouldn't. Or, or is it that the main crop come out in the like, too late in the year to be ready to go back in the ground? Is it that? I don't know, but that would. That's time? not. A, but that's not a concern for me. If uh, if I'm going to be eating them, I'm not worried about them going back. No, in the no. Ground. But but the whole point of sowing the first earlies now is that they get some green on them before the winter comes. Yeah. And then they 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 before the before it gets too cold they get greened up so they start to produce underground yeah before it gets cold whereas if you did the main crop by the time you get the main crop out in September and you vernalize them and then put them back in the ground it's too cold oh and for start for, greening up for using the same piece of ground you mean yes yeah 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 yeah, yeah, or, yeah. Or, or, so so or this year's crops that makes to, sense that you'd makes have sense. to have saved them from last year to sow them now yeah. And I wonder if that they're they're ready to go in, and the timings just don't work because they're ready to go in, and it's not the right time of year. Yeah, I'm. I'm so like, if I grown last September's crop, they'd be ready to be planted in March or April. Yes. Because they'd be starting to form eyes and everything else. Yeah. Even if you stored them really well, you're then going to put them in the ground, and they're going to grow through the summer. But you wouldn't be able to keep them through to September to sow them in, or to August to sow them in August. Yeah, Perhaps. I've got you. So it's just a life cycle thing. I think so, unless you can persuade the, the potatoes to not start sprouting early and you can keep hold of last year's crop to sow in August. Yeah. Or just use the uh, just use the, the potatoes you buy at the supermarket that uh, want to form eyes no matter what time yeah. you, you bring them home. Yeah, could try that. That'd be worth a try. 
Yeah, speaking of, um, mm. with the with this drought that we're in at the moment, I've heard that there there could be up to fifty percent failure in our commercial potato crops this year. So I'm expecting potato prices to to go up like everything yeah. else. Yeah, well, I just add it to the list, eh? Add it to yeah. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's, so, it's frustratingly, you know, there's nothing. I mean, there's stuff we can do about it as homesteaders. So, but looking around at what's going on, it just it's just appalling. And sort of friends and family that I know that are going to struggle through the winter because of the prices and everything else. Um, yeah, I mean, you do what you can, but there's, there's only so many things you can do. I mean, I, I have stocked up on a few things. Um, <clears throat> I made sure that I've kept things like my flour topped up really well. Yeah. Um, just looking at what's going on in Ukraine particularly, and, and I know they're managing to get some grain shipments out now, but I can see what's going to happen to flour prices. Yeah. <clears throat> um, well, even, well the grain, even the grain shipments that are coming out are a fraction of what they would be at this time in a normal year. Yeah. Even, even now, even now. Yeah. yeah, no, absolutely. So that, that's, that's only going to go one way. So it's just trying to keep on top of the things you can control, I think, is, is the, the best way to do it and do what you can to mitigate and limit the damage that it's going to cause. But, yeah, you can see that it's going to be difficult, difficult winter ahead. Um, yeah. I mean, what was nice for me was that I, I came home, obviously, off holiday and, and as you, when you go away on holiday, you tend to run down stocks of particularly fresh and perishable goods, don't you? Mm-hmm. And so came home to basically an empty fridge. And um, yeah. I, the first thing I did was go shopping at the allotment, came back with a, uh, my, my truck that Mike made me years ago, absolutely jam-packed full of beans and courgettes and tomatoes and you know, yeah. cabbage and whatever else it was. And, you know, loads of stuff, beetroot and all sorts. Um, and then I went to the supermarket to go and do our, our shopping for the week and almost bypassed, not completely, but almost bypassed the vegetable section of the of the, of the supermarket, which was really nice. But again, limited space. I'm not going to be able to do that through the winter quite so well. So it's now, the other thing I've been doing is, is preserving. So I've got the chest freezer is now full of all sorts of things that I've, you know, produced gluts of and just frozen. And, you know, they'll get used in one way or another through the winter and that will help keep costs down. Um, but it's not going to completely solve the problem because it is going to be very different this year to what we used to. It is. And, and you, you mentioned something there, which I just thought was, was perfect. And it's about, you know, controlling what we can. And that's the beauty of living this lifestyle is, is we get to choose how much we want to be in control of. And yep. the, the more we can be in control of by producing our own, the more we are protected to some degree from the vagaries of the market and and these you know it, it's it's absolutely crazy because obviously you know i'm still buying food in the supermarket we're still you know we're, we're far 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 from being self-sufficient even less self-sufficient now than we were a year ago so we're we're definitely still buying things in the supermarket and you know i'm really really feeling it i can genuinely feel the difference with the energy prices and everything else it's definitely definitely making a difference and i just think how lucky we are that we are able to say okay well we're going to take control of this element you know so for instance in the winter we've got two wood burners here so you know we're going to take control of the the sourcing of that firewood and making it so that we're not having to pay to heat our house in the same way most people are we're going to take charge of the you know procurement of meat for example and you know we haven't done any meat 
raising this year, but we'll, that will all start again fairly soon. But I have been trapping a few rabbits and things like that and catching some fish. So, you know, we're able to take control of a, a portion of that. And then, of course, mm. vegetables and fruit. And we were out yesterday, my wife and I, harvesting a load of wild pears off the the the, the little country lane that I know with this beautiful pear tree and bringing yeah. those home. And taking control of some of these elements means that we're taking ourselves out of a system that is just out of control at the moment. And I like that. I like that feeling of being able to control as much as we can, which will never be a hundred percent, but as much as we can. I think there's, there's an idea that, that we talk about on our, our show a lot about just picking something and being self-sufficient in it mm-hmm. um, and, and trying to grow or procure or whatever it might be enough of that one thing that you don't need to buy any all year. Yeah, And that, I think, because when, when you look at what we do, it's such a vast thing. You know, we're never going to complete homesteading, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you, you could do this for years and years and years, and there'll still be something that you've never done or never mastered or yeah, you know, there's some new angle that you want to take it on. And so it's such a big thing. People are coming into it. Where do you start? Mm-hmm. And the answer is always somewhere. It doesn't really matter where. We, we spoke about that the first time we, we spoke. Yeah, we did. Podcast. I remember having that conversation years ago. And, and I think the answer, the simple answer is somewhere, wherever that happens to be for you. But if you're struggling to get your head around, well, what can I do to, to limit the impact? Choose something and be self-sufficient in it. Just start there. Start there because then that will start to, to bring other things. I think I said a loaf of bread when we spoke about it before. Yeah, because you did. You bake a loaf of bread and you go, well, what am I going to put on my bread? And you're like, well, I'll make some jam. And then, and it just takes you along this little journey, doesn't it? So <clears throat> what else can I do with my sourdough starts? Oh, I can make flatbreads. I can, you know, make pitters. And then, then all of a sudden you're in a completely different direction. So it, it will take you in, in its in its own kind of natural direction, depending on your interests. But start somewhere. Be self-sufficient in that one thing. And then at least that's dealt with. At least that's solved. And yeah. I think you, know, you mentioned firewood there. <clears throat> that's a really, if you've got log burner already, that's a really good place to start with the way that gas prices, I mean, my gas boiler is going to cost, I don't know what, this winter. And I can heat downstairs pretty effectively, but upstairs, not so much yeah. um, with, the, with the log burner, the position that it's in. <clears throat> so we're going to have to think about what do we do about that? And that's the other thing that we're doing at the moment, which is not strictly homesteading, but it is in the sense that we're trying to be more frugal. What can we do as a family <clears throat> that will reduce our fuel costs over the winter? <clears throat> yeah, you know, It might be something as simple as wearing an extra jumper, you know, to start off with at least. Yeah, yeah, uh, and, and lighting, not, not allowing the heating to come on until it's absolutely necessary. Um, <clears throat> and that might be where we start. Um, but are there other things you can do? You know, I know I've got a couple of dodgy windows that needed replacing years ago, but I've never done. Well, that's going to get done before this winter. Yeah, for know? sure. To so make sure that that insulation is, is as efficient as it can be. Um, you know, and I've spoken before about looking into panels, so solar panels, and obviously we've got the log burner and, and sort of taking some control of some bits of it to try and reduce those costs. Um, like you say, I don't think, realistically, I don't think it's possible to be completely self-sufficient for fuel. It's part of anything else I drive to work. <clears throat> um, but to try and reduce that cost has got to be a direction that we need to be looking in. I'm sure everyone's doing the same. You said that, you know, the idea of saving money isn't strictly homesteading, but I actually disagree. I, I think okay. I think frugality is massively a part of, of homesteading because I think it's in two ways. I, I think it's one of the driving forces behind what we do. And I think it's also a huge, huge, huge homesteading skill. I think 
if you are making loads of artisanal cheeses and breads but at the same time you're spending an absolute fortune on equipment and your your driver your driving force is more in the artistry of it or perhaps you're looking one day forming a business out of it you know you're doing what could be called homestead skills but you're not doing it in a homesteading way you know with a homesteading okay. mindset i think that frugality is is a huge part of of homesteading i think the two are are massively tied together and they drive each other i think that's fair i think i suppose from the angle of it's the self-reliance angle i come at it with it's the, it's the not being you know increasingly as i've gotten older I, I hate being at the sort of vagaries of chance and politics yeah. and economics <clears throat> and all those things and and you know obviously having a young family wanting to be in control of all of that is probably the driving factor for me um which is why i've kept the flour topped up because i know i won't struggle you know, yeah. I've got I've got three months worth of bread in there in in big bins, and I've just got to turn it into bread at some point. Um, yeah. at least at least three months worth, and, and you know, and I'll, I'll be buying some more again shortly to make sure I keep that topped up. And that self reliance of knowing that yeah, I can't produce it, but I've got it, I've got it, and I don't need to go looking for it, and and not looking for things that you when you know when you can be looking at them again. Something we talk about a lot. Um, you know, going back to the lockdowns, you know, people panicking for, for toilet rolls. Well, we didn't have to worry about that because we have plenty. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You know, we weren't going to strip in the shelves because we have plenty, you know, um, things like that. Just yeah, being yeah. in control of, you can't produce it, at least you can get it and then you can store it. And um, yeah, hopefully, well, hopefully you'll be able to come and visit and see the, the pantry of dreams at some point. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward. So, yeah. something, something Alan keeps not not secret, but I don't think he advertises. He uh, he plays in a band mm. as well. So uh, yeah. I'm going. I'm going up to uh, see a gig hopefully at some point in the next few weeks, and uh, you're going to host me for the day. Yeah. Well, Mike and I play together in the band, um, which is yeah, one of the other things, many many things that we do together, and. Uh, it's, it's been a lot of fun. We've been doing it for I don't know, 11, 12 years now, a long time. But um, unlike some of these bands that are around, we, we just play when we get offers that we can do. We don't, we're don't. we not trying to be professionals. It's just a hobby that pays for itself and you know, practice yeah. space and equipment and all that sort of stuff. Um, but in the meantime, we get to go out and have a nice time. And I quite often you know, stand on the stage side of things looking out and I'm having a nicer time than most of you sitting out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. You know? <laughs> Because we is don't that, do it is that because the, the music's rubbish? <laughs> <laughs> well, well no, I need to tell you, we, we're called Twenty One Whiskies. The name of the band is Twenty One Whiskies, and and the reason for that is that if you drink Twenty One Whiskies, we sound great. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you have to come and judge for yourself at some point. Yeah, for sure, for sure. <laughs> so, right, last thing then, Alan, yep. before we wrap up, because we've been going for a little while. Um, yeah. We, you've mentioned your your bag or your bucket full of marrows that you got when you when you got home. Yeah. So two questions. Yeah. Firstly, what's a marrow? Um, <laughs> uh, okay. So a marrow is. <laughs> uh, do you know the, the the definition? I think is that you buy seeds to grow them as marrows, right? So um, if you if you buy a marrow variety or a marrow plant. The seeds you'll get are intended to be grown to become marrows, right? And they can become massive, can't they? Yeah. And marrow. I mean, when you grow a marrow, it can get. You know, I said it's the size of a forearm. You know, the marrow can be the size of your leg, easy. Easy. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I think it's just about the size of the of the, the fruit that you pick from it. You're supposed to pick courgette smaller. Well, I was going to say for you. I mean, personally, at what point 
do you stop calling it a courgette and start calling it a marrow? I honestly doesn't bother me. It's a courgette. Okay. <laughs> and and you use them all the same way. Pretty much. Uh, the only problem you get with with courgettes when they get really big is that the seeds, the pulpy seed stuff in the middle, starts to get quite large. Yeah. And I think probably you know, you know I, I don't I don't particularly enjoy eating marrows. Right. So um, I tend not to purposefully grow marrows. I try and grow courgettes. I grow yes. courgette varieties and I try and keep them as courgettes as best as I can. Because in the, what happens in the middle is that the seeds, when they start to form, are quite tough. Yeah. Um, and they can be quite, you know, the, the husks on them can be quite hard and they're quite unpleasant to eat. Uh, which is why when we were kids, mum used to grow a marrow and then she'd hollow out all of the seeds and then stuff it with like this mint stuff. And it was, I mean, dad ate it, but I don't know how. Um, <laughs> hopefully mum's not listening um, <laughs> but, um, so that, that's why that tends to happen which is why I prefer courgettes because I can use the whole plant what I will do is, is when I'm using them is I will check the seeds in the middle I haven't done that and if that's the case I will cut them out and I feed yeah. those to the chickens uh, they really enjoy them um, but no uh, to be honest uh, the name's a name for me um, it could be fluffy unicorns uh, the, the, at the end of the day they're going to be used as, as if they were courgettes and they'll be made into chutneys and pickles and that sort of thing yeah um uh, yeah and, and i'll use the bits that i can use the other thing with marrows is the skins can be quite hard the, the, the marrows tend to be for storing don't they yeah so the skins get really hard like a bit like a, a, a squash or a pumpkin yeah. um, and that means that you can store them for longer um and again i'm not really into that with marrows so i tend to just dodge it altogether if i'm honest yeah no sounds right sounds no right point, no point growing something you're not going to use no <laughs> and um to have you got anything else you wanted to actually hit on that we haven't discussed yet mate or are you uh, um, all good no i'm all good if you're if you're happy yeah well i've yeah. taken to asking three quick fire questions of all my guests oh, so okay. no i'm gonna hit you with those they're, no they're really simple and you can be as brief or as long-winded as you like and uh, i'm really interested to hear the answer actually so the first question if you could only keep one animal what would it be my dog the dog yeah second question and this one i'm interested to hear your answer to. if you could only grow one plant what would it be tomatoes yeah that's that, yeah. that right that sounds well i wasn't sure between that or purple sprouting broccoli <clears throat> no tomatoes everyone else tomatoes. likes purple sprouting broccoli I, I enjoy it but the tomatoes win hands down yeah yeah and then finally if you could send yourself a text message to yourself five years ago what would it say Five years ago. Yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> this, this is the one that starts answer. people. No, no, go for it. Um, it would probably be take that land. Yeah. Well, um, having, having, having had conversations with you, obviously private conversations, I would just say that maybe you should uh, be sending yourself that text message today. Yeah, yeah. I, I, the reason is that, that, that it's probably a bit less than five years ago. Um, I was in a position where I had a plot of land at the end of the garden, which I kind of had my eyes on. Um, and, and I've spoken before about, you know, land at home. Yes. Particularly when you have a family and other people to think about is much easier to look after and much less of a stress on the family than land away. Um, yeah. And so the fact of going to the allotment, even though it's only a few minutes down the road, um, means i have to be away from the family for a period of time whereas if i'm in the garden they can come and find me and you know if they need something doing i can come and help or be around or whatever or they can come and yeah. join in even um and so i was in a position where i had that option or that i was offered 
um, four acres of land right by the side of the main road um, for £100 a month, about the same time. Um, mm -hmm. And I decided that I didn't have time to do both and that I, I put my eggs in the wrong basket, effectively. Um, although things have changed since, so it probably mean that I wouldn't have had either, to be fair. But looking at the way, basically, they put a big cycle path across most of that land now. Um, right. But in any case, I probably should have taken it and, and had a go. But I just don't think I, I didn't have the time at the time. And I think that's the other thing is about being realistic about what you can do. Um, yeah. Which is where your circumstance is particularly fortunate, I think, is that you've got, well, I'll let you talk about it on a Friday, but <laughs> you've got time, haven't you? You've got time. Yeah, 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 for sure. For sure. Yeah. All right, buddy. Well, thank you ever so much for your time this morning. And thank you. Uh, we'll no doubt speak really soon. Yeah, it's really nice to catch up as well. I've, been, it's, I've really enjoyed our conversations over the last few days. And hopefully, from your perspective, we haven't covered too much ground that we'd covered in person the other day. Because no. I'm concerned that was a risk. But I think hopefully that's interesting to people. Um, yeah, and as sure. always, you know, if people have got questions or they want to know more, you know, they can, they can hit me up on social media and our, our Facebook group or yours. Either way, I'm in both. Um, <laughs> uh, and I'm often in both. And and also on the, obviously, we're, you know, we've not released the podcast for a while. Mike and I find it difficult to get together at this time of year often. Um, family holidays and things. And, you know, he's, wor he's working actually this year, which is... <laughs> I'm not. Yeah, right. <laughs> so I'm going to be sending him a few. I sent him a text on Friday because it was like 33 degrees or something here. So goodness knows what it was that he was. Like, how are you working in this? And he sent me a picture of him in boots and jeans and that. And I'm like, man, that must oh, be right. Wow. Yeah. But then, you know, you, yeah, but, you know about that. You work through it every year. Yeah, but um, jeans, that's a choice. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, what are you playing at? I don't think they were jelly, maybe cords or something like that, but they were definitely heavy trousers. I was like, really? Wow. Um, yeah, so we do find it sometimes difficult to catch up this time of year, but I'm hoping to pin him down and get a recording done in the next week or so of our podcast as well. Yeah, yeah. What he's been up to, because it would have been a lot at the time since I last spoke to him. Yeah, well, I can't wait to hear it. So yeah. for those of you who want to hear more from Alan and his uh, partner in crime, Mike, it's yeah. the Homesteading UK podcast. That's the one, yeah. yeah. Well, not so newly named now, but yeah. Um, it's the same as it used to be the Urban Homesteading UK podcast. We're now Homesteading UK podcast. And it's been going really well, actually, I have to say. Um, really, really enjoyed the, the sort of change of focus. And it seems to be coming across to people as well, which is really good. Perfect. Well, thanks ever so much, Al. And uh, we'll you. speak soon. Brilliant. Cheers, Carl. Cheers, buddy. This episode of the Self-Sufficient Hub podcast was brought to you by our patrons. You guys are awesome. If you'd like to support the show, there's lots of ways you can do it. The easiest of which is just to like and review it wherever you get our podcasts. You can also tell somebody about it, whether that's on social media or just face-to-face -face with a friend who you think might benefit from it. But however you support our podcast, we really, really appreciate it. If you'd like to become a patron, please consider doing so by going to patreon.com forward slash self-sufficient hub. However you support the podcast, it's listeners like you that make all of this possible. Thank you ever so much for listening, and I'll speak to you really soon.